Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. If you're new here, the goal is to review comics and related concepts in the span of time it usually takes to enjoy some coffee. If this episode drops on time, it should be nearing Valentine's Day, and we all know Valentine's Day is associated with love, but I'm not talking about some romance comics. There's already some great podcasts for that. Instead, I'm looking at one of my favorite relationships in comics, Supergirl and Brainiac 5. I've chosen a specific comic issue to focus on, but before diving right into that, I should introduce my guest. Making his first and very overdue appearance on this show is the magical king of Scotland, Martin Gray. <laughs> Hello, Clinton. Thank you for having me. It's a delight <laughs> to be here. Thank you for joining me, Martin. How are you? I'm pretty good, thank you. And this is a very good comic that you've chosen, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. Well, before we hop in, what is your uh, history with Supergirl and the Legion? Well, I started reading DC Comics from the Silver Age in the early 70s, as back issues, when, when I was about seven or eight years old, and the, the Legion in Adventure Comics from issue 300 onwards was always there from the start, Supergirl I was reading at the time, so they've always been as one in my mind, loved the, loved the Supergirl strips always just adore the Legion, and so when they come together, wow, peanut butter and jelly, as they say. <laughs> Do they say that? I don't know. <laughs> well, so long as they're not referring to the Will Payton Starman, I don't think we'll have any arguments. <laughs> My favourite, well, one of them. <laughs> one of several favourite Starmen. Oh, yeah. But cut his hair and he's got a chance. <laughs> Alrighty, well, for people who haven't looked at the show notes, the issue we're talking about is Legion of Superheroes, Volume 3, Number 16, from November of 1985. Story was titled Baptism, written by Paul Levitz, art by Steve Lytle and Bob Smith, colors by Carl Gafford, letters by John Costanza, and editor was Karen Berger. Martin, were you reading Legion at this time? I was, yes. I was reading the Baxter issues and really, really enjoying them. It was just such, it such a treat to have such a high-quality Legion going on. At the Time Institute in 2985, that's a thousand years in the future from this issue, if you're not doing the math, we see Rond Vadar and Cronarch observing a very tearful Brainiac 5 watching video of the death of Supergirl. It is the 1,000th anniversary of her death during the crisis. Despite their best efforts, Brainy wants nothing to do with cheering up, preferring to wallow in his self-pity over falling in love with a woman he knew was destined to die. Meanwhile on Titan, 
the majority of the Legion have gathered for the baptism of Graham, son of Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl. Back at Legion HQ, Polar Boy, Sensor Girl, Magnetic Kid, Telus, and Quizlet have been left on active duty. An explosion occurs at a park west of Metropolis. Sensor Girl, Telus, Magnetic Kid, and Quizlet respond in what is quite possibly their first official mission as members of the team, leaving Polar Boy to man the monitors at Legion HQ. They perform adequately, even if lacking experience with teamwork. Back at the Time Institute, Ron Vidar and the Cronarch have at least convinced Brainy to grab a small bit of nourishment. The trio toasts the memory of the legendary Karazorel. Dr. Chasir, a woman who also performs research at the Time Institute, comes by to pay her respects and offers support to Brainy while low-key flirting with him, which he rejects in his own mildly depressed and, quite frankly, rude fashion. Back on Titan, we see more interactions between the Legion members. Element Lad, current leader of the Legion, can't stand that something might happen back at HQ without him, and checks on Polar Boy's team like a mother hen. However, he is assured things are fine. Which they are, until they aren't. The Legion team encounters more would-be bombers. They make short work of the villains, but are soon knocked unconscious by the science police. Only Quizlet is left awake. Amidst Brainy's wallowing in self-pity and Polar Boy having to shoo Element Lad back to the social gathering, we check back with the Legion team as they start to awaken. It's determined that it was indeed science police that attacked them, but after a small scuffle we learn that the SP members don't have any memory of actually doing the deed. There appears to be a mystery afoot. Returning to the Time Institute one last time, we see Brainy has finally come to terms with Kara's death. Sort of. Kind of. Not really. <laughs> and his whole place in the universe, I think. I don't know. There was a lot of brooding and quote-unquote soul-searching. We also see the aforementioned Dr. Chassine has fallen asleep at her workstation while performing an experiment. Brainy wakes her in a somewhat rude manner, and suggests they both return home to sleep and prepare for the new day, whether they are ready to face it or not. And that's the issue. But before we dive into all of our discussions, let's take a quick promo break, and then we'll come right back. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. always have to say it that way haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship all right and we're back martin uh i i hate to you know put words in your mouth but um i take it you like this issue i like this issue a lot yes yes indeed indeed i mean we have the, the earned drama of Greniac 5's brooding which threads the story but we also get the first mission i think you're right there of the new legion members 
and that's not all. We do see the christening of a legion baby. And, and obviously, you know, the readers know that Graham is actually a twin, but unknown, unknown to everyone else in the legion. Darkseid stole his brother, Garadon, away. And he's going to grow up to be fatal five member valleys, his little Garadon. So a little bit of poignancy there. And, I mean, do you remember when a comics writer, in this case, Mr. Levitz, would give readers more than an issue long fight scene? And even the fight scene contains a mystery and tons of characterization. I think I'm going to risk saying the comics were better then. <laughs> and but would I, it be would it be overstepping to say that Quizlet is your favorite of the newest members? No, he's absolutely fine. I'd get a and you know an inertron hammer and just flatten him. He's so irritating. He's got he's got one of those speech patterns. It's meant to be, I think, vaguely amusing. Although, you know, Sentigod does actually find him irritating, but he reminds me of the way he speaks with his sort of, like, mantis at the Avengers with her this one, and it's just really, really irksome. <laughs> Did you like Quizlet? I always had considered I would like Quizlet from his entry in the uh, DC Heroes role-playing game, but honestly, once I finally encountered Quizlet in the issues, he is skeets without the charm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the best thing is, I mean, actually, the, the power visual was, was very good. I mean, this issue in particular, when they're, when they're fighting in the uh, the terrorists in the park, he, he goes into some rock and animates the rock and becomes a big hulking brute. And that's that's quite interesting because he's, he's still got his Quizlet symbol on him, so he's like a bit like one of the metal men or something. Mm. And I like I did like the fact that Quizlet could sort of, you know, when, once he came out of something, which is a plot point in this issue, it would actually sort of disintegrate whatever he'd entered. So we do have the lovely idea of, you know, you could maybe go to the 20th century back then and perhaps team up with a similarly powered Jericho and enter Jericho and disintegrate Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see it, don't you? But I mean, I, but, I mean, back, back on this, I mean, this issue, I thought it really added depth to Brady, putting a, a new slant on the teenage flirtation with Supergirl, because every time we saw them together over the years, we now realise that he'd likely been fighting off a tease, knowing that they could, not just they could never be because of the time period apart, but because she was destined to die. I mean, OK, we do have this the strangeness of the crisis business, you know, it's like, was she destined to die because did the crisis exist before the crisis started happening? It's like, I've never understood that crisis plot point about, you know, it's happening in all places and times at once, because if it was, it would be in every single comic you ever read. Did that make sense to you, Clinton? It makes sense within the concept of reading crisis, but yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of took it to be the same as like, you know, Zero Hour and all the other events that came after, and just, well, you know, it happened between the panels, and nobody remembers it because of comic book sites. Mm, mm, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think we have accepted, aren't we? <laughs> it's, yes. It's all good fun. It gave us a great series and some wonderful crossovers and a few little red skies here and there. And speaking of Crisis, though, um, looking at the cover... You know, I didn't double check this, but uh, how, if if you know for sure, how closely is that image of Supergirl? Um, how closely does it resemble the panels in Crisis? It's pretty close. I mean, she was basically blasted and flailing about. So you know, given that she was the top, probably lots of different flail positions, I think we have a bit of leeway there, Clinton. So it's it's pretty. I mean, you know, it was instantly recognisable as her death moment. 
poor Brainiac 5, though, I think he's cried about two gallons in, between the pages here. Good on, good on him, though. He's, he's, he's not, you know, he's not the, the, the Colin and robot. He's a real boy. <laughs> he's a real boy. He is. But, I mean, you asked him about how, how close it was to Crisis. I think it was about two months after Crisis, cause, because I was having, having a little natty with Dr. Ange about this. And he was always wondering why it didn't have the Crisis crossover slug on the cover over the masthead. And I was thinking, well, perhaps it's because it was not contained within the period of the crisis or in those 12 months. But they still could have slapped it on there or put a little tiny post-crisis crossover on there because it probably would have sort of, you know, gussied sails a little. Well, there's no red skies, so... That's true, that's true. That, and uh, Dawnstar is, you know, she's at the baptism. Why wouldn't she mention anything about the crisis? As you say, because it's probably been wiped from it. Because this was the plastic period, wasn't it? When, because again, you know, Supergirl died in the comic in our, in our time a couple of months previously. She's, but she's still being remembered by people. Although, mm-hmm. again, you can just do your head in trying to work out how it's how how the remembering, not remembering bit works. It's just for the sake of the story, Brainiac's remembering. I think we just have to go with that. Since we're on Brainiac. Uh kind of uh, history do you have about uh, Brainy and Supergirl? Well, it's quite interesting because I, I was quite surprised when I became aware of American fandom and Legion fandom in particular and realised that there was this huge, great sort of well of affection for the Brainiac-Supergirl romance because I hadn't, to be honest, really noticed it that much. I mean, Kara's relationship to me with Brainiac 5 was characterised characterized kind of characterized anyway by her saying goodbye i mean granny pretty much fell in love with her at first sight when she joined the legion in action 276 in his first appearance and while the attraction was mutual once he convinced her that he wasn't as villainous as his ancestor she would regularly say goodbye and quit the team promising to return one day then she'd return flirt perhaps kiss him occasionally declare strong feelings then leave the 30th century once again rinse and repeat it didn't seem to me like this big ongoing romance and they did give us that fantastic story. I don't know whether you read the story and I think it was Adventures, someone correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 214 or something in 1974 and there was a story in the show of have made when he had taken away the Comics Code Authority seal of approval on the cover, a Supergirl sex doll, to assuage the loneliness of being in love with a woman whose life was lived a thousand years in the past and he made it in his sleep. And then the real Supergirl comes along and finds this out, and she doesn't, you know, just super speed off in the distance, never to see him again. Did you read that story? I have not read it. I've heard the synopsis before, though. It is as bizarre as it sounds. The, 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 the android, the robot, you know, dies, declaring how it loves Brady, and it's just another day in the Legion, apparently. <laughs> Kind of like the, the uh, Lex Luthor, I hate the Legion robot. <laughs> Remind me. Oh, it's it's. God, um, I'm not even I'm sure of the issue. It's it's early on. I read it in a an Adventure Digest reprint. But uh, th- there's an android that hates Superboy, and by association hates the Legion. Wears a lead mask and everything and turns out it looks just like Lex Luthor. It was made in the 20th century and got 
you know, reactivated in the 30th century. <laughs> oh, I think I think I must have missed that one. I remember there was one where I think it was this mysterious supervillain who had a, a, a mask and he was Mr. Mixes Pitlick's ancestor and descendant or something. Anyway, there's I think everyone was met the Legion at some point, but I was <laughs> but I mean, you know, because they never had an extended period of being sweethearts in Linda's own strip, and because she was always playing the field slash having a heartbroken in the 20th century. Cara and Brenny, they never crystallised as a serious silver and bronze age romance for me the way it did for many of my fellow fans. Did were you were you particularly aware of them as a romance? I know you were coming into it a bit later than me. Um, you know, I learned of all of this, God, probably in about ninety one. Yeah. So you know, the crisis was long history ago for me. So. So that means this relationship was even older. So, you, gotcha. know, you know, the past is prologue kind of thing. So, And yet, Clinton, it's in the future. <laughs> we had around that. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, while I didn't have a great attachment to the romance, I could really appreciate the great, the odd great moment. And for one thing, there's a splash page in, I did actually take note of this one, there's a splash page in Tales of the Legion of Superheroes 314 in the early 80s, in which Cara tells Bernie how great it is to be back in action with the Legion when she's on a visit and how much she thinks of them. And, you know, courtesy of writers Paul Levitt and Keith Giffen, artists Terry Shoemaker and Carl Kiesel, and colourist Adam Q. But it is glorious. It's a wonderful, wonderful splash page pin-up. And then there's an absolutely brilliant Supergirl annual number two back in the 90s, under the Pulp Heroes Young Romance heading, which is by uh, Tom Pyre, and that paired the post-crisis cow with the post-zero hour brainy. That was huge fun. Did you read that one at all? I have not. I mean, I read the I, I read the the three fourteen, but I didn't read the yeah. the Supergirl annual. That sounds really good. Oh, it's really really good fun. And there was actually coincidentally there was another Supergirl annual too a few years later, just before the DC New Fifty Two. And you might have read that one. It's, it had, you know, writer Sterling Gates paired the subsequent versions of Cara and Brainy. So that's probably the third versions. And it's a shame that Cara was wiped out soon afterwards because it ended just on a wonderful note of optimism. You know, they were attracted to each other. They looked like they were going to see each other again. And then, whoop, bring on the new 52 with the heavy metal music. <laughs> Quite a shame. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. But this, 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 sorry, <laughs> this issue we're looking at today, though, is just, it is just wonderful. I got quite teary when it appeared because Cara had just died in the crisis and she did mean an awful lot to me. And as far as I knew, you know, even though I'd been reading comic years, as far as I knew, she was wiped out because I, I knew the business behind the story about how they wanted to get rid of Supergirl. So it was just wonderful to see the story of Supergirl dying from Brainy's point of view because it was a unique tragedy of him having truly loved someone that he had known all along was doomed to die young. Ah, yes, and of course, you know, for those who aren't Legion fans, Brainiac 5 is pretty much the most uncaring character in the entire series. He, he really is. I mean, you get more emotion from Stoneboy when he was asleep, unless <laughs> unless it was one of Brainiac's sort of, in alternate month, and Brainiac was going mad and blowing everything up and creating monsters and things like that accidentally. He wasn't the most stable potential boyfriend for Supergirl Actually, the one thing I there was one thing I did like in this issue. Did you notice uh, one of the big things that I was growing up with when I was reading Supergirl and DC Comics as a little kid in the more Weisinger era? And it was like every story pretty much had you know a moment of how ironic Chuck. This was ironic. That was ironic. And you know it actually was ironic. It wasn't alas Alanis Morissette ironic. And 
I think it's a nice bit of irony in this issue in, you know, in terms of sort of looking back on it after a few reboots and that Ron Vidor at the Time Institute, you know, he's the one who's telling Brainy, he actually uses the phrase, I think, pull yourself together because Brainy, you know, Brainy's having a good old, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure I even agree he's wallowing. I think he's just genuinely incredibly upset that Kara's dead and Ron Vidor's going, pull yourself together. But do you remember who uh, Ron Vidor got together with after the five-year gap? Oh, God. Five-year gap is actually a pretty blank spot for me. Ah. I, I'm not Shag. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's okay. One Shag's enough. One Clinton's good. But uh, no, after the five-year gap, he got together with, you know, you know Laurel Gand, who was basically the, the substitute for Supergirl in Lead in Legion Adventures. Mm-hmm. So Ron Vidor got together with the Supergirl character. And here he is back here saying, you know, get over her. You know, she's just <laughs> just, just a dead hero. <laughs> yeah, Laurel Gand, who does not have a complicated history at all. Not at all. She's the you know, patron saint of dental floss. That was... <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I, I, I do like Laurel Gand an awful lot. Again, she was... If we couldn't have Supergirl in the Legion, she was just a really, really fantastic character. If you ever get a chance to read those issues, especially certainly you know, the first 20 or so, they are just wonderful, wonderful reads. I wish DC would reprint them, or at least make them available on Comixology. Um, there have been solicits for a five-year-later omnibus. I think it keeps getting withdrawn, though, doesn't it? Um, it's happened uh, recently, sir. Within the last uh, couple of weeks, as of this recording, but again, that could, you know, as you said, they could have just put it out there and then instantly withdrawn it. This episode is sponsored by DC Comics, Amazon, In Stock Trade, and anyone who might send Clinton and I a copy of this book. Thank you. <laughs> but another thing I did like on this issue, I did, I did love. I mean, the funny thing is, that, you know, you've got the cover with Brainy, with Brainiac sort of all sat over Kara. You've got the opening page with him all sat over Kara. And then you've got the great big and title, Baptism. And you're thinking, oh, you know, it's referring to, you know, the, obviously the, the, the christening, the baptism of baby Graham. Mm. Uh, and it's referring to the baptism of fire of the new Legionnaires. And I couldn't see how it was referring to the what, what seemed to be the main story, you know, or certainly the emotional focus of Brainy Morning Kara. Did I miss something there? Other than um, Brainy's little soul-searching page where he, uh, you know, more or less comes to terms with the idea that Kara's just not going to come back. Um, no, I don't know how it would really relate. No, no, Paul Levitt, if you're listening, you know, we love the book. Let us know. Mm. I've got more chance of that than of getting a free comic book, I tell you. <laughs> anyway, I didn't probably you must edit that out, I would imagine. Whew. Okay, uh, what do we think of Dr. Chassine? I didn't really understand. I mean, again, I didn't go and reread the, the issues around this, but I don't remember her ever appearing again. I mean, I should have actually probably looked her up on a wiki, but uh, if anyone in the Legion of Super Bloggers or anyone who can remember can mention what happened to her, whether she ever appeared. But as I think she was just a, a you know, a little, a little bit of a tool for the issue, a prop, not a MacGuffin, but just, just someone there to hang on Brainy's final, hang up to peg Brainy's final lesson onto. Because I was, I, I remember, you know, obviously in, in the most recent version of the Legion, around about the DC New Fifty Two era, you had. Uh, 
Harmonia, who was his colleague in the Time Institute and became a DC Legionnaire person. But I don't remember. So, no, do you remember this woman at all? No, this was this is like a completely new character to me. No, I, I mean, Sakir, obviously, you know, Ron Vidor, he'd been in for years on and off, son of Universal. Mm-hmm. And Circadia Census, the Cronarch, Cronarch, I don't know. He'd been around forever. But I don't remember her at all. It could be that my mind's going, but uh, I don't know. Maybe she was wiped out by the Red Skies. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody tell us. I'm sure Dr. Hanish or Cisco would know. Yeah. Hint, hint, right in. <laughs> What did you think of the Legion fashions at the christening as drawn by Steve Lytle and Bob Smith? I think they're wonderful, except it really looks like Shrinky Violet's just there in her costume. Yeah, yeah, but I, I love Ultra Boy's Ultra I Boy's knew sweater. you were going to say that, that, that sweater vest with his symbol. It's just yeah. adorable. <sighs> My favorite, though, is, you know, Chameleon Boy sitting there, Hey, by the way, this is Prody too. And everybody's just like, why do we care? I know. And then you, you, then you think about what we later learned about Pro, who, who, about, sorry, what we later learned about Proti, Proti One, and it's just all a bit strange. <laughs> Although again, they hadn't they hadn't made that up yet, so. Mm. Oh, strange. By yeah, was... normal people terms, not by the Legion terms. Oh, absolutely not. But. Uh, it does. It's just a, just a very, very, very good issue. I mean, the action scenes are particularly. I think they look particularly good, especially that that splash page where you have the newbies, you know, fighting the little terrorists. It's just wonderful. Yeah, and I really like that they actually just got to respond to what would be considered a mundane threat from the Legion. It wasn't the Fatal Five show up and the newbies, you know, have to go out there and do all sorts of amazing things. They just. No, I've... Yeah, they just respond to an emergency, and they find out that they have a lot of training to do. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're very competent. There's, they're, they're getting on pretty well, you know, because there's that at the moment where sort of, where Quizlet irritates Projector, but you know, Quizlet could irritate the baby Jesus. He's just so annoying. <laughs> but they're just they're just you know, they're, they're showing the Legion material. And I also love the fact that whenever it's sort of whenever you have sort of magnetic kid using his powers, he always has funny, funny little sound effects. Like his brother used to have sproing and he gets things like, you know, pop and, you know, cloop or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Poor, poor magnetic kid. We hardly knew him. <laughs> uh, I actually always liked magnetic kid. I did. I did. I was, I was sad when he was, you know, when he became yet another Legion sacrifice. Didn't he end up in a giant spider's web in space? I've forgotten exactly. <laughs> quite tragic nobody gets out of the legion alive i know but i mean as this is the valentine's day edition do you do you, and this is this your favorite legion romance that, that's a tough question there, there's a part of me that wants to always just say anything with ailerans will always top it but then that means that i can no longer have my not so secret crush on ailerans so i, I think you'd have to fight dr Ange for that I think Dr. Inch and I are on good terms. Oh, you can share her then. (laughs) With your respective missus. (laughs) I really want to say Bouncing Boy just gives all of us nerds hope. He really, he really, really does. He's just such a wonderful character. You know, the the nice guy gets the hot girl. I mean, you know, 
on the one hand, we shouldn't need to be told that you know, it's all about personality. But on the other hand, to see it in a comic where everybody generally is, you know, sort of super, super buff and good looking as well as being super intelligent. And he's just an average guy who, you know, a little bit on the, what's the that lovely American word? Husky. The husky side. <laughs> I think I think my favourite Legion romance was Ultra Boy and, and Phantom Girl. They always seem to have such a spark. They seem so sexy together. Yeah, you know, talk Sorry. about somebody going across time for love. Absolutely, yes, yes, indeed. You know, because they, they were they were parted and they, you know they managed to get back together. I mean, I mean, looking at some of the other Legion romances like Satin Girl and Lightning, that always seemed a bit sexless. And sort of Shadow Lass and Monelle, I was never convinced by because she chased Brainiac Five so hard previously. Yeah, and let's not even dare bring up Earthman. Oh, God, Earth, man. Yeah, and before that, At- Atmos and Dream Girl. Good Lord. But Ella and Vi, that was always a big favourite. Starboy and Dream Girl, fantastic. Yeah. Really, really nice. Oh, and then, oh, how could I forget? Oh, Wildfire and Dawnstar. Oh, now there's your, there's your little tragic romance, because that was an ongoing tragic romance that we got to see. But, you know, over time, they, they did come to terms with it, I think, didn't they? And they you know, they, they had their love. They couldn't do the physical. Well, they always said he couldn't do the physical bit, but what surely once he was in that in the costume, he, you think he'd yeah. have a real sensation, a bit of imagination, you know. Mm. Yeah, that that's where it becomes a Vertigo title. I think so. But I, I, I mean, the visual of Dawnstar is amazing, but if you think of the practicality, she's probably covered in fleas. <laughs> you couldn't be comfortable either. Dear Lord. Oh. Then, then again, I suppose if she's kissing him, it's like, Kissing a mirror in this, like Supergirl in the Supergirl movie, practicing kissing on a mirror. Oh, where's my head? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm to think. Are there any Legion romances that we've forgotten? Because, again, as alluded to earlier, there was, there was the, the sad fact, the sad fact that they made up later that uh, all that time Satin Girl had been married to Lightning Lad. It was actually sort of Proty One in the body of Lightning Lad. That was a bit creepy, and he hadn't told her. Very, very strange business. And and Ultra Boy, he, he was no, it wasn't Ultra Boy. It was Colossal Boy. He was with Vi for years, wasn't he? Before the mm-hmm. the business, the business with uh, what's the face, Yira. Yeah, and then there's um, well, even in this issue, Element Lad and how do you oh, say Sh- her name? Sean slash Sean. Yes, I was Siobhan. like, I, I don't know how you say it. I've always said Siobhan, but. I would just say, I would, well, I wouldn't say, I mean, I know it's obviously it's derived, derived from Siobhan, because it, cause it's specifically spelled as Siobhan, I'm giving it as a Siobhan, and, you know, that, and then when you find out later that he began, you know, she began as Siobhan, that, that makes some sense to me. But that, that, I mean, again, that, that was a great Legion romance book, wasn't it, in the five-year gap era, when you found out that you'd been taking mm. the, whatever it's called, man into womanite or something. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever comic book term we used for it. Yeah, it was it was causing like a you know penis oxygon or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's terrible. Again, this listeners will tell us. Do you remember that great romance that that, that Quizlet had? Somebody could stomach Quizlet long enough exactly. for a romance. Nobody wants <laughs> Quizlet. Not even Computer. Nobody wants Quizlet. Not infectious last. Not. <laughs> Not at all. But not the I'm, heroes of Lalor, not the wanderers. No, nobody at all. I oh, 
Clinton, Clinton, Clinton. I want the Legion back. Oh, of course, of course, the Legion romantically forgotten. Protector and Karate Kid, of course. Oh, yes, yes, yes. How could I forget that? Yes, indeed. And did Sensor Girl ever have a romance with anybody? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> Dear. Oh, boy. But now, I, mean, I would love to hear what other people's favorite Legion romances are. Oh, yes, definitely. If you have a favorite Legion romance, write in. Tag Martin and I. <laughs> yes, please. You know, at the website, at Twitter. Call me at home. Whatever. <laughs> Even if your favorite romance is the Legion HQ and not dying. Oh, oh good old Fortress Lad. Marvelous. I love Fortress Lad. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love Fortress Lad, Arm Fall Off Boy, Mnemonic Kid. That's <laughs> just, I mean, if I had to pick one of, you know, 10, ten favorite DC stories, that would be in there. Uh, that, that definitely is. But, okay, we're straying. Is there anything else we want to add about this issue? I can't think of anything offhand, just that it was, you know, an excellent story from a wonderful period of the Legion. You know, Paul Paul Levitt's firing on all cylinders, Steve Lytle just getting better by the issue. Wonderful, wonderful bright colours when the colourists weren't afraid to give us bright colours. You know, the Legion before the 30th century became a dystopia, even though I love the five-year gap, I prefer the Legion in a, an, opt- an optimistic future. You know, superb characterization, excellent action. What's not to love? <laughs> all right so yeah definitely seek this issue out if you haven't read it already all right so we will take one more quick promo break and martin gets to come back for the wonderful quiz <laughs> i do like <laughs> that, the quiz that i'm sure he has prepared for very studiously not in the least not in the least <laughs> all right <laughs> let's embarrass myself To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything, I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. Hey, man, somebody killed this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am the Huntress. New Huntress Podcast coming to you in 2019. Visit thehuntress89.blogspot.com for new episodes. Go to the Facebook page at Huntress Podcast. Go to Twitter, The Huntress Podcast. And you can always find episodes of the Huntress Podcast at RightOnNetwork.com and go to Apple iTunes where this podcast is a joint venture with the Helena Bertinelli Podcast and the Cassandra Kane Batgirl Podcast. So go to Apple Podcast, the Batgirl slash Huntress Podcast. All right. We're back. Martin gets to take the quiz, and Martin, you may be the last person to take this version of the quiz, as many of the answers have pretty much been solved for us, or or we're just slightly running out of options on a few of them, but you know what? We'll stick with it. Give it a go. See what happens. All right. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. 
then we're doomed. <laughs> okay, question one. What do you consider your beverage of choice? Tea, white, no sugar. And that's just regular tea. None of your Ponzi teas, none of your infusions. Tetley tea, PG tips, whatever. Supermarket tea, builder's tea. As long as it's made with a couple of tea bags in it, well, three tea bags in a teapot. Teapot warm beforehand. Milk in the cup first. Bob's your uncle, a couple of digestive biscuits with it. Wow. <laughs> I love this answer. All right, question two. Betty or Veronica? Veronica, brunette, she, she has that mysterious thing going on. I mean, she's just, she's got more to her because she's got a bit, a bit of side, a bit of bitchiness. But Betty's so stable, you know. She's just, Betty's just dull, Veronica. She'd drive you mad. But, you know, I think there's always more to discover with Veronica. Hmm. All right. Question three. Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X-Men? Claremont Burn X-Men because the Wolfman Perez Titans, very good, but created as a response to the success of the Claremont Burn X-Men. And in the Wolfman Perez Titans, there was less chance of any interesting to a teenage boy kinkiness. So I think <laughs> I, would, I would take the... I mean... I like the Wolfman Perez Titans a lot, but it was more, I don't know, just excited me more. One of the things, shut me up if I'm talking too much, but one of the things I loved about the Wolfman Perez Titans was that they did try so hard to give you different genres. One, you know, one story would be in space, one would be a boring, preachy runaway story, one would be regular superheroes, one would be ancient Greek. You know, you never know what you were getting. But again, X-Men, you know, they'd be in space, they'd be... You know, having regular superhero stories, to be having a, a miserable, stupid story about Kitty's fairy tale. Okay, admittedly, that was after Bernard left, so perhaps, you know. But no, I think I will take the Claremont Burn X-Men because for me, there's, I think there's never been a superhero run other than other than the Legions here when Giffen and Levitt were together. A superhero run as consistently excellent as, you know, Bernard, you know, Bernard Claremont all the way, you know, from... 108 or whatever it was through to, I don't know, 141 or 142. Superb stuff. Well, we're quickly running out of options on question four, but which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? Ooh, well, that's an interesting one because I do watch, you know, a lot of the live action things, but I'm not, you know, I don't yearn for things to be turned into live action. And the cartoons, you know, they're there. I can take or leave them, which is probably, you know. Hmm. Ah, who would I like to see? Sorry, dither, dither, dither. Mm. I think I would love to see, set in the 60s, uh, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern series, you know, ba you know, based on your proper John Broom, Gardner Fox, Gil Kane series, you know, those lovely sharp madmen type suits, a really, really nifty, sexy Carol Forrest. Hal Jordan being the man's man, which he's getting to be again pretty much in the Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp series. But yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm one of the few people who actually really enjoyed the Green Lantern movie. And, but I, th I just love Hal Jordan in the era of the early 60s. It was just so clean and crisp and so much to explore. So please give me Green Lantern. Right, watch it. Yay. <laughs> 
All right, question five. Villain most in need of decaf. Oh, the Joker. I'm just so sick of the Joker. He just, there's no in, there's no interest when he appears anymore. He's, he just seems to have, well, I'd say he has one setting, but there's, I think it's going to be a story point. There's, there seem to be so different, many versions of him. He just, no, I, I, I hate the Joker. I just, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, less caffeine to drink, but I think I just drown him in a vat of caffeine. <laughs> if he turns brown, fantastic. Just die, Joker. <laughs> Okay, I bet I already know your answer for this, but question six. Who is the best super pet? <laughs> the best super pet? Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I've loads and loads of affection for Streaky. He's sitting behind me with sugar and spike bushes, but also behind me is Crypto, and he's cute. He's a cute little white dog. He's got a gorgeous little cape collar, lovely eyes, lovely flappy tongue. He barks, he falls in love. Super, super loyal. He romps across the universe. He has a doghouse of solitude and outer space. He interacted with the Legion of Superheroes. He is the best. Uh, so definitely not Prody 2. No, no, he's not a pet. He's a sentient being. <laughs> okay. Question seven. Can Mighty Mouse beat the George Reeves Superman? Ooh. I've seen one Mighty Mouse cartoon in my life let me think george Reeves superman i think he could beat mighty mouse because george Reeves superman knows how to use a trampoline <laughs> definitely the most original answer i've heard <laughs> my mighty mouse knowledge is poor i tell you thinking on i i think i did actually buy recently on comicsology a mighty mouse update comic which i heard was good i was intrigued by because i think Sholly fish writer of scooby-doo team up which everybody should read and buy all the time is writing it so i need to read read that but yes yes if that might convince me that mighty mouse could be george reeves but for now george reeves for services to jumping on a little trampoline out of a window he wins <laughs> okay and the final question one that i'm pretty sure everyone has already answered but i have to ask you anyway would you prefer a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you, or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Oh, number one, I'll, I'll have the cheap comics. You know, Doctor Doom has a grudge against me. If I have enough cheap comics, enough really good cheap comics, I'll invite him around, we can read comics together, smell the pages, rub our fingers against, you know, take up little silly, little silly putty pictures of the panels. Doctor Doom would be my best pal. I will take the comics. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. Martin, I do appreciate you very much joining me on this episode. I've had a lovely, lovely time. I hope I get to come, come back one day. Thank you, Clinton. Oh, definitely. Uh, before you go, though, let everyone know where they can find you online. Well, I'm on Twitter, at March Gray, or at Danger2 which refers to my blog called Too Dangerous for a Girl, which is actually a Legion of Superheroes reference from the Silver Age, when, in fact, Brainiac 5 told Saturn Girl she couldn't go on a mission because it was too dangerous for a girl, which is obviously nonsense. And it's not actually a sexist blog. I just do odd little reviews here and there, mostly DC Comics, because when I review Marvel Comics, I don't get much response. 
when when I review 80 page dragons I don't get much response so generally it's normal sized issues of DC comics because I like people to chat <laughs> feel free to not buy yes everyone should check it out because it's a wonderful blog and very good reviews thank you honey thank you <laughs> All right, well, I will take one more quick promo break and come back with some listener feedback. It was 1938. The country continues its slow recovery from the Great Depression. While war clouds loom throughout Asia and German aggression builds in Europe, Americans seek comfort and distraction. It was a time when the most popular form of entertainment was radio. But a new form had been growing steadily and was set to explode. It was to become the golden age of the American comic book. My name is Chris, and my name is Mike. Please join us as we explore comics in the golden age between 1938 and 1955. All genres will be discussed, from superheroes to crime, horror, science fiction, humor, and western. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher. And visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. Alrighty, we are at that part of the show where I love to thank everybody that tweeted, shared, favorited, all that fun stuff. So, without further ado, I'm going to dive into this list because this was a long one. Last episode was Green Lantern number 100, part of the Superblog team-up. And everybody seemed to enjoy this one. Because we got tweets and favorites from The January Man, Charlton Hero, J. Jones Goldstein, Son of Cthulhu, The Hammer Strikes, Relatively Geeky, Lava Hog, Wait What at The Snitfacist, Hashtag Source Material, Chris Sheehan, Bill Bear, Rad Adventures, Lobo Black Wolf, Professor Frenzy, Martin Gray, Harry James Wesley, Olympian at Olympian One, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Peter Rios, Jeffrey Brown, Between the Pages, Justice's First Dawn, KB Likes Comics, that's Kyle Benning for all you who don't know, Trekker Talk, Smith, Don John Smith, Hordak McGrayskulls, I love that name, Eli at Eli Knight 20, AWX Wrestling, Longbox Crusade, Christados, Hot and Nerdy TV Pilot, Ange, A Long Box Review, Cash Flag, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, Sean Ross, who is also Secret Wars and Beyond, RJ Sevnik, Paul Hicks, Black White Bronze Comics, Amethyst, Best Princess of Gemworld, I agree, Bayer Beware at David Bayer Jr., Hashtag Source Material at Source Matcast, Radulich Broadcasting, Cafe Virginia, Matches Balone, Russell Britton, Jeffrey Ranger, and Adjacent Culture. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Gene Hendricks, Al Sedano, Pat Sampson, Reggie Hancock, and Aaron Head Moss. Over on Twitter, we got some feedback from Kyle Benning. He says, I have this issue signed by Ron Mars. He said this story arc was one of his favorites that he wrote because it gave him the chance to actually write Hal as he truly was or could be instead of angry, grief-stricken, out-of-control Hal when he came on the title. 
Thanks, Kyle. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, we also got feedback from Kaiser the Great at Kaiser the Great. He says, I think we all expected that team up. Well, honestly, Kaiser, I didn't at the time. Um, I mean, I pretty much spelled it out in the episode, but yeah, I had no idea it was coming. So I guess I'm part of the 1%. <laughs> Jay Jones Goldstein told us that it was a great episode. Thank you. I loved how enthusiastic you were about the story. Sounds like a great, fun story. Well, I hope you check it out. You really should. We also got a comment on the website, which, as a reminder, is coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And that comment was from this episode's guest, Martin Gray. Martin says... Fun episode. I tuned in expecting to hear about the original HAL GL number 100 with the debut of the all-new Airwave, but this was fun too. I remember much message board worry at the time around the possibility of a returned, younger, non-nuts HAL replacing Kyle, but happily it never happened. So was this your first exposure to Kyle, or had you given up the comic after his debut? because I heartily recommend the previous 50 issues showing his journey from Guy in a Back Alley to one of the best lanterns ever. His mask is still cack, though. Crab face. Well, Martin, uh, honestly, I'd kind of like to read that debut of the all-new Airwave. That sounds like fun. It really does. Uh, no, this wasn't my first exposure to Kyle. Um, I was there when he... You know, took the ring, and I stayed on for a few issues, and just kind of picked up the book sparingly, but mostly, yeah, I was out of comics during most of Kyle's early tenure, so it took me a while to actually go back and get them all. Uh, I still have holes in the collection, but I've, I've read a fair amount between 50 and 100 now, so uh, that, I, I'm doing good. <laughs> I realized the error of my ways. Trust me, I did. No, really, I did. <laughs> Alright, so I think that does it for the feedback this time around. I want to thank you all for sticking with me. Thank you all for listening to this episode and hearing all those names of all the wonderful people that shared the show. And I hope you all will stick around and come back next time. Because after all, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. Thank you.